Hello and welcome to the Data Cafe. I'm Jason. And I'm Jeremy. And today we're talking about scaling the internet. Now, this title had me intrigued. Jeremy, what do we mean by scaling the internet? So, this really feeds back to when we all went into lockdown in 2020. And oh, no. I know, I know. <laughs> Flashbacks. And, <laughs> exactly. And, and um, one of the things that happened, especially for those of us that have a, a family, is that, is that all of the education and all of the uh, interaction uh, with the outside world just went online. And so suddenly we were massively dependent on um, on the internet, on video conferencing and Zoom meetings yeah. and uh, Google Classroom and all of that kind of stuff. And I have to say, I mean, for me, it just didn't cope <laughs> at all. Yeah, it just stopped. It did. I have memories of standing next to the router in the hall with the laptop and turning my video off and saying repeatedly, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And just realizing, no, our broadband at the time just wasn't managing the um, capacity for suddenly two people working from home. No, not, not, not at all. And I think it was an experience that many people had. I think ISPs were very much uh, receiving a lot of um, probably abuse, <laughs> but, oh, but certainly, yeah. certainly a lot of, say we say, uh, constructive customer service calls. <laughs> Jason, yeah, yeah, lots of tickets logged. I yeah, 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 and 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 a few of them came from me as well. Uh, you know about upstream bandwidth and downstream bandwidth and all kinds of stuff we didn't think we had to know about. Anyway, you know that was basically an instance of the internet, at least the the local internet in the in the UK, not really being able to scale with the demand that was being placed upon it and so you ask what it what it means and for me it was you know well is the is your internet connection and is are your internet services able to cope with scaled up demand maybe as a you know due to organic growth but of course in that instance very much down to extreme behavior and an extreme event which in that case was the um, the pandemic and the reaction that happened as a result of that. So this is giving me thoughts now about wanting to model that demand that you've said and that we've talked about before and how that goes through cycles and erroneous patterns because of massive effects such as the pandemic and maybe having to manage that intelligently or manage it in a way that we don't have previous experience with. So yeah, this says to me, okay, that's the word scaling, right? Scaling up for something dramatic happening, everybody logging on for some finale or or Eurovision next week or whatever the current, you know, big internet phenomenon is. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to facilitate all of that screening that's happening, you know, like people using all sorts of streaming services, their Netflix, their Disney Plus and all the rest of it. Like we're not just watching TV anymore, we're watching internet TV and it, reminds me as well of how we're heading towards smart home like connectivity internet of things how many devices am i going to plug into my internet at home that means 
my Netflix movie is no longer able to keep up because my fridge is trying to tell me to change the icebox. You know, whatever is going on in the home. Yes, yeah. So I, I, I can see applications straight yeah. away. And, and I think that you, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head. The, the issue there is, can I have a model which captures all of these things? Um, to which the quick answer is probably no, not all of them, because that was a lot of things. But, but, yeah. but, 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 but yeah, you need a model. You absolutely need a model. Uh, and that model is, in this instance, something that we would get from a, a simulation model. So okay. something which would allow us to have an understanding of um, how uh, how something works, how a process works, how uh, a, a, an organization works, how a household works, how an individual crudely works, and, and puts that together in a way which can be simulated can be run, played back at, uh, you know, super fast speed. Um, and can then, you can ask some interesting questions of that, um, of that model and of that simulate, you know, through that simulation. That is a bit I wanted to, yeah, dig into if there's a distinction or what the distinction should be between modeling and simulating. It sounds to me like a simulation introduces an element of evolution that you potentially have a starting point and you let that system evolve and you're simulating behaviors maybe or interactions or patterns that aren't necessarily one model but lots of potentially different um, entities within a simulation that have their own model, like their own motivation for how they behave but then together run through a pattern at a macro level that becomes something that needs to be reacted to and in the case of the internet it's facilitating broadband demand across a location or a population yeah i think my in the right direction <laughs> yeah no i think i think that's a, that's a really nice sort of uh, distinction and you know for me anyway the modeling aspect is the capturing of that behavior, the capturing of the, the essence of the individual, if you like, or the organization or the, the process that's being simulated, that's being, that's being modeled. And, and then the simulation is, is the thing which takes that model and starts to, uh, play around with it, play it back. Um, yeah. so it starts to use that model to create likely uh, out- outcomes or action streams or event streams from it. So you know, if I'm a yeah. if if I'm a a shopper going into a shop, maybe I have a model of a shop of myself as a as a shopper, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm somebody who goes into a shop, um, it looks looks for some product, picks up product, puts product in basket, goes to goes to till. Mm. Buys product, pays pays with money, leaves shop. You know, that would be an event stream that happens from that that particular shopper, and would be one way of ca- and very current, not a future Amazon no. shop. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, okay. <laughs> and um, but you know, there are many ways of constructing a model, and and some of the things you were talking about are more. I think what we're going to get onto, which is more sort of yeah. looking at the looking at the the model as a construct of individuals or construct of individual types or what we'll come to call agents within 
the uh, simulation. And that that's where it gets really quite quite exciting because then you start to say, okay, I've got I'm not just a I'm not just I'm not just one type of shopper who goes in, picks up, buys and pays and leaves. There are many types of shoppers. There are people yeah. who are interested in particular types of products they're interested in. Yeah. I they're... thought you were going to say who are in the way. <laughs> that's where my head went. <laughs> there are people in my way. <laughs> well, that's a different type of simulation. That's a, that's a, yeah. That would be a spatial yeah. simulation, right? So that would be going into a shop, especially okay. when you had... We had sort of two meter exclusion zones that we were having to enforce, and it was yeah. a nightmare. You couldn't get round most shops in in any kind of yeah. sensible way. So, but that, that, yeah. would, that the would... aisles went one way, but there wasn't a natural flow. So, I'd go yeah. down one, but I wasn't allowed to go down, up the next one. It didn't make yes. sense. <laughs> but I have an example. <laughs> I have an example as well of in um, when I was in college, we started to build simulations. And I realize now that they're, they're simulations because they felt very basic at the time to learn how to program. And one of the ones I mentioned is like uh, simulating forces that mean a planet moves around uh, another uh, body. So a couple of planets move around the sun. And you put in your parameters for, and you put in your equation of motion and you simulate it. And if it goes wrong, you get all these mad spirograph patterns that are really interesting and funny to, to see. But if you get it right you get this lovely natural orbit and you've proved um, the physics involved. But another one that started to bring in like behaviors, so people dynamics, and we did this a couple of years later, was um, almost like crowd simulation. And it was looking at people who move down a corridor and putting simple parameters in place that there's like a force from the wall. So a person doesn't want to walk into the wall or walk too close to the wall. Um, and then forces between the people, which are just a, a dot, you know, a spatial coordinate, but they don't want to be certain distance to each other. And again, everybody's inherent social distance metric comes into play, you know, your, your comfort zone with how close you stand to people yep. in the crowd. But what was interesting was modeling the effects that this had um, when you put in a bottleneck was one. And when you put in um, exits, and part of the characterization was like a fire exit or something, and how the forces meant that people would like converge and like block the exit. But if you put an obstacle in front of the exit, it created a better flow. And we started to play around with these aspects of the system and seeing how that behavior evolved and seeing what the best configuration of a corridor and if the corridor widened at some point it actually created an effect because people would then disperse but you cause a bottleneck where they have to come back together um it was just fascinating now to think back on that's a really nice example and you know there you've got a a, a simulation model where you've got individuals with certain properties and it's not a it's not a force of nature um, you talk about in terms of the force of not bumping into a wall or not bumping into each other. It's more of a propensity to avoid from the individual, but that is a characteristic of that individual within the simulation that they will right. tend to avoid, avoid objects, avoid walls, avoid other people. You know, we're not we're not air particles and smoke particles in a Brownian motion uh, engine. You know, we're we're, yeah. we're 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 people who are trying to get from A to B uh, without uh, without tripping over pe- other people and other things. So. You know that because of that propensity, that that can be modelled, captured as a, uh, a, a you know an ability to want to have an exclusion zone around ourselves and have our personal space, and therefore 
when you move through a crowd, you take these things into account and you try to maintain your personal space and you try not to um, cra- you know, crash into people. And and, and, yeah. and and then you end up, so the simulation is giving you essentially what becomes known as the emergent behavior of the whole, the global dynamic to see, oh, look at this crowd flow. Look how it creates these these hot spots or these crush zones or these or these uh, air zones of improved flow uh, around a building. So really super important in emergency evacuation um, procedures and, and, and uh, simulations, really important because then you can, you can make your buildings and your public spaces safer by having this kind of simulation in place. And I came across a cool word for when it happens in traffic and you get this phantom traffic jam. It's called a jamaton. And I read this in Larry Winkless's book, Science and the City, and I'm hoping to get Larry on the podcast, actually. Um, this is nice. a phenomenon that's created independent of any external influence. Like, there's nothing that has caused a traffic jam. It's just the natural evolution of people's behavior means that you build up this wave that propagates backwards and ultimately becomes almost a shock where suddenly somebody has to brake really hard and it causes yeah. a, a traffic jam. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff. And so you, you can discover these really unexpected phenomena within within what you thought was quite a simple model, but in the global dynamics, the simulation can expose these these interesting behaviors which allow you and in the case of the internet to you know put in place some kind of mitigation some kind of some kind of protection from unexpected bottlenecks unexpected you know jams if you like um and and you know allow you to put in place um you know better reliability and better robustness against you know crazy events or unexpected events um that that would you know otherwise bring bring your local internet connectivity to a to a grinding halt yeah and bringing it back to the internet connectivity piece how is this scaling now going to um, help us to manage people's bandwidth for example what's this application well i think uh the 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 key scenario is here how how do you manage investment to uh in your local network and in your you know your regional network and your national network and how do you how do you know how much uh, how much extra equipment to put in your local exchange uh, you know how how much processing power um uh you know what your level of fiber to the curb and you know fiber to the cabinet should be uh, in in, wow. in in your area if you're going to be able to support you know the anticipated and this is the crucial thing the anticipated levels of demand given unexpected and maybe at the moment unknown levels of interest in certain applications and certain you know media streaming events that are going to happen in in the future and and this is where it becomes you know really i think challenging but but that that that's potentially what you get out of it is is an understanding of how you can be uh you know Investing, how you can be growing your internet in terms of if you're if you're a, a provider um, of of services or of equipment in the in this area, and and then of course it, it, you know if you're re, if you're really really doing it in a sophisticated way, how you can be reacting live to particular uh, particular events as they happen to enable the experience to be really smooth and not 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 juddery. 
Cool. And you had an interview with Dr. Lucy Gullen, an AI and optimization research specialist at Applied Research at BT. Let's hear what she told us about this. I'm joined in the Data Cafe today by Dr. Lucy Gullen, who is AI and optimization research specialist in applied research at British Telecom. Uh, Lucy, a very warm welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for joining us. It's really exciting. And Lucy, you've been working on a technology and approach that I have a, a great deal of time and respect for simulation in data science. And specifically, you've got this lovely use case around household bandwidth usage. And I know I really care about the amount of the bandwidth that um, I get, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure lots of people do, and especially, of course, during lockdown when there just didn't seem to be enough of it. So, so I was going to ask then, first up, what, what was the business need from British Telecom to simulate bandwidth usage? I think simulating bandwidth usage is really a smart idea from BT because it allows us to actually take granular behaviours from customers and maybe how they change in future and build those up through households and then across the whole network to try and see if we can actually meet the needs of the the people that are actually providing products for. So it's it's actually quite an interesting project because we are pushing into it all things like oh how might somebody's behavior change in future or how might their product purchasing change in future what are the demands going to be like and then we can test that and see oh can our network withstand that pressure super exciting and very relevant i think then to the recent uh, changes in behavior that you must have must have seen as a as a network operator so you used a an agent-based simulation model, I believe. So what, what does that actually entail and, and how did you go about constructing constructing that? Yeah, so we call it an agent-based simulation model mainly because we're using some agent-based software, which is called AnyLogic, um, which is Java-based. Uh, but really how I think about it is it's almost like a Monte Carlo experiment. So we do have agents within our model that um, make up individual people individual devices that they might have and individual households and and it's kind of like a hierarchical structure in that way but really um we've we've built it from the ground up in terms of um, trying to intuitively find out the probabilities people doing different activities etc and uh, propagating that up through the model to collect how much bandwidth they might use throughout a, a generic week so it's not just a, um, a household simulation. It, it, it drills down into maybe the individual devices they have potentially, or the or the the services they're using. Would that be right? Yeah. So the the level of data that we have is um, is very granular. So we can model people's behaviour to types of activities that at the probability they're going to start that kind of activity at any point of the week. So there's quite a lot of underlying statistical modeling going into the inputs of this this simulation model. And all of that information comes from external services that that actually tell us, one, what do BT customers do? And Mm. two, what do we think that the general public does in in general? Like, what are their behaviors? So it's quite a a nice uh, bit of modeling underneath to try and find out likelihood of people starting activities on different devices, etc., and that all builds up into 
what does a general household um, and the people in there use throughout the week? I see. And the overall aim of this then is to simulate, is it average consumption of of household bandwidth or is, is it, are there lots of statistics that you're getting out of this? What, what's the thing that, that BT really cares about to sort of ensure sort of good, good quality service provision? I think average is always an interesting metric to look at, but the, the things we're mostly interested in are those peaks Yeah, because we want to make sure that the capacity that we provide isn't exceeded by the need of the, the public. However, we've also recently been a little bit interested in the troughs as well. So um, thinking of things from a, an energy perspective and thinking forward in, into the future, we've started to change our mindset a little bit into can we actually use the information from this simulator in a different way to tell us can we change our capacity over time to actually reduce the amount of energy needed to provide these services without making the customers suffer at all. It's, it's quite an interesting new problem that might be coming up for the model in the future as well. So sort of dynamic service provision or dynamic upscaling, downscaling of, of a service to really sort of make, provide best service to the customer when that's needed, but also to be able to minimise your, your energy usage when that's, when that's not, not needed. Exactly. Yeah. Really nice. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine the amount of bandwidth you use is, is quite a sinusoidal style wave throughout the week when people go to sleep they're not using much bandwidth etc so there's a natural opportunities uh, for there to be peaks and troughs in mm. the in the bandwidth trajectory yeah so what's the, what's the typical sort of inputs that you're using the data that you're using to construct your your simulation your generalized agent in, in this approach so we do use um, quite a lot of external data mm-hmm. so like census data to find out the makeup of households And then data from um, sites that are all actually, I think, open to the public where you can actually go and view, um, you know, what are teenagers watching around now? What kind of programs are they watching? All of it comes from this quite granular data that we then put together and infer um, profiles of, of, of the bandwidth usage. So. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting actually the amount of stuff that the amount of different sources that go into the background mm. of this, um, and I think actually that plays into the kind of other side of research that I've done, which is the uncertainty side right. of things. So you know, there's going to be quite a lot of uncertainties in there because of all these different sources of data. But right. to get over that, we actually do a lot of validation. Good. So. My next question, in fact, is, is, is exactly in that area, which is how, how did you validate it? How did you justify to yourself, your team and the company that you had a, a representative model of reality? Yeah, so we actually don't plug into our model any of the like BT style data mm-hmm. um, that we, we get through our network in terms of the, the actual full bandwidth. So we have a picture of that and we build up our model using these other sources of data and then run it. And then we check against what BT actually said the bandwidth was for an average week. Nice. Or, um, and sometimes we like to run weeks where there's been a, a non-standard activity. Maybe there's been like a really large football game, like a um, England game on Amazon Prime or, or Amazon streaming services. Mm-hmm. And we like to see what the impact is of the assumptions we've made around that and what actually happened in BT as well. So there's lots of different ways to validate what's going on. So 
how does this get used at BT? Is this something where there's an, a, an effort then to use it to provision exchanges and facilities within the business, or is it used more on a sort of strategic basis? So far, I've, I've mainly seen it used in a strategic manner. So, um, so applied research is um, a great place in BT for other units of BT to come and ask questions, and a lot of that is about communicating with their other areas of business. So. It might be that there's future products that we want to test and maybe that's offering slightly different packages to people and we can actually then uh, see oh well this would be the impact on the network and this would be the impact on service for people if we were to then offer that because the more bandwidth you offer the more competition there is for uh, bandwidth in in localities and things like that yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense so and then have you had any sort of challenges or difficulties in, in building the model or, or getting it um, used within the in the company? I think getting it used in the company has been relatively simple, but the, uh, building the model itself has been has been quite challenging. So it's um, it's it's a real combination of knowledge that's gone into this model. So it's required working with not only people that understand operational research, like in applied research, but with people that know a lot about the actual network itself. Mm. So I think the the harder thing for me, having joined BT, has actually been learning all the, the language and mm. making sure that there's actually understanding of what the terminology means and things like that so that you can re- build a representative model properly. But that's, that's key because if you don't have trust from the people that are actually asking you the questions, then I don't think they're going to want to ask you any questions. <laughs> Very, very true, I think. And and then I guess the £64,000 question, given that we're in the UK, um, would be, yeah, how, how's the model, how's it stacked up? You know, how's it worked in different uh, pandemic scenarios or, you know, how's it worked in the peak event scenarios that you're painting around sort of streaming, streaming events and uh, busy times on the network? What's the experience being with it? I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, during the pandemic, there's been a lot of... Um, kind of modeling done to kind of see how what the impact of the pandemic has been on bandwidth usage and and as you can imagine it has definitely um uh, prior to the pandemic bandwidth usage was increasing and it, it shot up quite considerably during the pandemic and and now things are, are leveling off a little bit but it was really interesting because that was when one the, the model kind of came into its own we're able to run really really far worst case scenarios so we could really push the model to the limits and say what if everybody is watching this at this time etc and really say what will it break the network and and those types of questions which I think was useful so it was good to have the model built before the pandemic to actually answer all those types of questions. That's tremendous. Uh, Lucy thank you so much for joining us in the Data Cafe today that's been really really interesting. That's really Really interesting stuff from Dr. Lucy Gullen. I hadn't thought of it in this way, and she talked about it in the sense of agent-based simulations. So, Jeremy, I wanted to ask you, can we delve into that a little bit? And if you can tell me a bit more about what is agent-based simulation? So, agent-based simulation in the context that she's using it, I think it's really a nice way of abstracting the elements of your your model and then your your simulation and what, what do I mean by that? It means it means looking at the at the the features, the people 
in your model and, and identifying them as key actors, players, agents, in fact, in, in, in your model. And so what does that mean? It means that you have, um, you have a, you know, a working parent who is defined as a working parent in this as an agent with those properties. And a working parent might have, um, particular, you know, um, requirements to use video conferencing to use uh email to use um sort of document sharing as part mm. of their, their their everyday life and so they would be properties of that agent and then you might also have a, a, a she talked about a teenager uh, agent in the in the model mm. and that the, the teenager might be um well, playing some some online games they might be interacting on social media um they might be watching um if they're like mine Netflix and all kinds of other things uh, all the time. So you know, there's a, there's a different demand pattern, a different set of behaviours attributed to that agent, and then you build all of these things up, and you have certain sets of agents that then contribute uh, a household, and then um, you know within that you have household. You also have devices. You have maybe fridges and and um, your smart TVs and all kinds of IoT devices which are sort of make up a typical household and those are agents also in the context of this this simulation anyway and then you put all of those all of those households together and you have maybe some households have different numbers of um people different type different makeups of uh age groups of people and different demographics and different makeups of uh, different types of device within the household so you can see how all of these then come together to give you quite a rich descriptive um, model for your entire environment, which is just purely composed of you know agents and entities which contain agents within 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 that. And that's that's really I think you know, what goes into something quite sophisticated like this and enables a simulation to be then executed and produce something quite quite. Um, meaningful. I have a note from when I was just reading up about agent-based modeling that it ties into game theory and I found this really interesting how um, it builds on the old prisoner's dilemma where each of the agents has their own strategy and thinking of how much information each agent has and what their dominant strategy is. So when you're talking about the households and then we're talking about the models that they're building, we don't know what any one agent's motivation is. We just know how they're behaving. So that becomes their dominant strategy and the emergent behavior that you were talking about. And in that prisoner's dilemma, they end up like shooting themselves in the foot because two prisoners say, oh, I'll um, give, I'll betray the other prisoner because that means I'll get away scot-free. But if they both do it, then both of them get the worst term um, or the, the, the mid medium term or whatever it is. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an amazing way to like bring it from those kind of dilemmas and riddles that we think about now to scaling this across an, a nation. Um, so that leads me to ask, well, how large is this simulation? How many concurrent agents are we talking about? Yeah, so in this case, you know, Lucy would say that it makes it makes a massive difference. You know, what level you're looking at. So, you know, when you're if you're if you if you're trying to investigate sort of the quite complex dynamics between two people 
in in a in a prison situation then then you know that's quite a a low level simulation you're maybe not looking at a large number of agents but you know and similarly in the in the world that she was looking at you know if they're looking at maybe a, a what you i guess we call a local loop simulation they were maybe only looking at you know 30 households or as few as 30 households and 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 then running the simulation which means um extracting dynamics from those interactions within between the agents and and the interactions with their network and then looking at repetitions of what that would look like so you know these agents aren't typically automatons that um always you know turn on the you know smart tv at one o'clock in the afternoon they are they they have propensity to do something probabilistically typically to to you know in a particular time period maybe to uh, interact with some of their devices, phones, mm-hmm. whatever, laptops, and and so so every time you run one of these simulations, it produces different uh, different output. It produces different demands on the network. So how on earth do you get anything out of that? Well, you've got to run it thousands, tens of thousands of times. So even a thirty household okay. simulation needs to be run, you know, you know, many many tens of thousands of times in order to get something which is. Uh, meaningful in terms of what the average behavior and what the average bandwidth requirement looks like, but also what the deviation from that mean looks like. What what, what the you know the standard deviation, as we would call it statistically, might look like. You know how mm-hmm. how how high might it go? What's the she talked about the maximum uh, bandwidth requirement, which was an important uh, characteristic that they look for, and then obviously you know the minimum as well, which was an interesting use case she had too. But then if they're looking at more of a, a national simulation, um, then they might be, you know, or something in a larger region, they might be looking at 10,000 households as that, that kind of, that kind of, uh, magnitude and scale to their simulation, which, you know, is still a huge complexity to, to have to, to have to deal yeah. with. And it quickly adds up in terms of, you know, all the agents and the numbers of households and the number of devices that they're having to track at the, at one time when they do that. And that makes me wonder, like, how responsive does this model need to be? I imagine you run it over a certain time frame and then inspect the results. So how long is it going to take to run if it's at that kind of scale? Yeah, I, I asked her this sort of after, because I, like you, thought, well, this, this must be this must be a massive undertaking. And, you know, what happens if you want to tweak a parameter and then run it again? You know, if, if the simulation takes yeah. hours and hours to run... And then she said, "No, no, it's 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 pretty quick. It runs in Java. <laughs> just um, nice, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, um, which you know turns out to be quite a decent language for for simulation uh, models and execution of those. And it says it you know tens of seconds typically, less than a minute to uh, for for a week well. or so. Yeah, yeah, uh, for a week or so. In, in so even and that's even some of the larger experimental runs. So that means when you when you you know forty seconds per fifty seconds per." Um, per execution, even for that number of replications, you're going to be able to then, you know, do some scenario planning. You're going to be able to, oh, let's tweak that mm-hmm. parameter, which maybe turns on the football match at uh, 8 p.m. and see whether, see what difference that makes to my demand compared to the normal weekday demand that I might be seeing. And so you can, you can start to, Start playing some of those contingency games with your model, which would make it so powerful and make it so uh, useful as a planning tool. And I think that's really where it was going. 
and that's what really makes me think of it as a simulation because you can simulate all those different situations of different factors and behaviors and agent decisions however those are captured um what sort of a like platform are they running this on if it's got such speed up um yeah do, i mean do you know? I, I thought i i thought it must be some some pretty heavy duty bespoke software but you know like, like i said you know it's 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 a Java based uh, a platform. I think she's got an agent modeling tool. There are, there are quite a lot out there. But she, they were using AnyLogic, I think, to to do their simulations. But you know they haven't they haven't even um, you know gone down a parallelization route yet. They haven't needed to anyway. I think they you know may well if they if they need to go upwards of ten thousand households. But but that's been that's been their experience, and it, you know it, it allows them to. Um, you know, it allows them to play these play these games and uh, look at these different scenarios. And I think I think what what was was fascinating to me is 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 that they they typically are looking for um, you know scenarios where you know they're getting a, a peak of activity and, and then they look to plan for maybe five times that activity. And you know if they can if they if if they okay. if they if they plan at that five times level that sort of scaled up five times then they reckon they're safe they reckon that in that in in, in if they if they're able to have that sort of uh, you know that that headroom in the network then they they're not going to uh, have anything that surprises them so I, I guess I guess the pandemic was maybe a bit of a surprise but yeah. but, but most of the time you know they're able to cope with the sporting event, the Olympics, the football match, the all of these other things that that um, are you know they are extreme events, but they're not they're not completely unpredictable or unexpected. And there was a bit that was mentioned about withholding the BT uh, data and then using that to validate the models that had come out of the simulation runs. Yeah, I wanted to touch upon why is that validation so important in this kind of scenario planning and how do you make sure that your validation approach is appropriate yeah i think this is this is sort of pivotal any model that you create you want to establish it has some sort of bona fides if you like it you want to establish that it's it's got a, a hooks to reality that allow you to go yes this is a reasonable model. This is producing output, which is a good representation, a good simulation of what what might actually happen on the ground. And and I thought her methodology was lovely with this. You know, mm. they weren't using lots of internal data, lots of you know very specific BT network data to uh, to you know to set up and to parameterize and inform their model. They were using external publicly accessible data mm. um, ONS data so from our office of national statistics to um, understand what the likely uh, demographics in an area uh, might be and also you know you know looking at uh, survey sites of what you know even what apps teenagers uh, are using and what 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 programs they might be watching and when they might be watching them and so they can build up their models using this this external data and then the validation then comes when you go right let's 
let's get some sample output and let's compare it with what we actually did see. Mm. So the validation did require the internal BT network data to enable them to go, yeah, we did see that level of demand in that area, you know, as we might have imagined when, um, you know, when that, that uh, documentary was on the, you know, released on the streaming service or whatever. And, and, and we did see that level of demand when, um, uh, when, you know, people come home to work, uh, having dropped their kids off at school. And then, you know, suddenly they're still requiring video conferencing and all of the, all of the sort of work services that they need. And, and, and if you can then get that, that established correlation with what you actually saw as against the, the model that anticipates that you would see it with that, then you've got some belief that your model is a, is a decent model and you can then start to make some great, um, decisions based on, on the model. You can say, well, it's reasonable to then tweak a small parameter within my model and believe that the output of the model and the output that I'm getting now from the simulation is, 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 is also going to be founded in, in, in reality, um, in that scenario. So you get this nice scenario planning potential that we talked about. It's like the epitome or a lovely use case of that blind test. So you have kept your data away from yeah. the simulation and then you don't bring it in until you want to do that validation. So it's a lovely way to uh, kind of exactly. epitomize that. Yeah, no, it, it, it totally, it's exactly the right scientific approach of saying, let's not pollute the model with things that we are, you know, hidden information that we have um, uh, available that was also going to be in our, 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 our validation process so yeah it's a nice separation um, uh, dynamic that they have there so moving from this stage and this kind of cutting edge aspect of the simulation work and seeing it at this scale and at this application which is so true to life for everybody right now what what's going to happen next and how can we get benefit from the continuing research in this area i think where you take a simulation model like lucy and her team at uh, BTR, and they're using it to drive what I'd say actionable, valuable, strategic decisions. So for for BT, probably it's it's around about the investment and the uh, the the scaling up of their local exchanges, their national infrastructure. You know what they should be investing in, what 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 they should be planning to invest in to get make sure they've got this five times resilience. That they were talking about, I think. I think that's that's really impressive. If you're able to do that with certainty and with confidence for any business, being able to simulate what your customers want so that you can anticipate it, be ahead of the curve, and get um, you know high quality, resilient uh, infrastructure in place, then that's that that that's you know gold dust. If you if you successfully manage manage that and i think you know in general we're seeing a massive interest in you know, something that goes by the name of sort of digital twins which is trying to sort of push in this area so digital twin is is something where you are trying to construct essentially a simulation of a a company or a process or a um uh or, you know a, a a manufacturing plant or something and 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 your 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 model your simulation should be as as accurate as possible to the 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 thing that you're you know constructing the twin of 
And you know when you know why is that important? Is it, in and of itself, I I would say it's not fantastically useful, except until you believe it, and then you can start going right. What if? What if we change something? What if we give it some unexpected input? What if we drive it in a way which it's never been uh, pushed before? What do what behaviors do we see from our um, from our simulation and and, and and then therefore you know can we make our actual um, our actual company our actual plant whatever it is can we make it more resilient more robust you know more efficient um, in in the face of these um, changes in these strategic in the face of these uh, new scenarios that we're playing out it's amazing stuff and something that came to mind as we were talking about it all is the game The Sims. Right, so you actually have all of this like simulation that people play with and put these agents into a house and cause chaos. And now, as we see Wi-Fi and internet become part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we can see the importance of scaling this across the nation and and the world. So, really interesting stuff. Thanks very much, Jeremy. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for joining us today at the Data Cafe. You can like and review this on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Or if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us, jason at datacafe.uk or jeremy at datacafe.uk or on Twitter at datacafepodcast. We'd love to hear your suggestions for future episodes.